If you know, here at J-Road, we are in the middle of a prayer series, and this isn't just a series we're going to talk about for like four weeks and end it. We're going to be doing this for a while. And the goal is, is that by the end of this prayer series is that we are a changed people. That we are a people who went from maybe praying every so often as we felt like it to like, it's now a habit in our lives where we are a praying people and we pray all the time. Does that sound good? So, like, this is, today is going to be the end of the series on the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to go into a different prayer series next week, and we're just going to keep praying and and doing stuff like that. Real quick, Bruce, can you turn these lights all the way up? Because I want to see everybody's face real quick, because if they're sleeping, I might have to call them out, all right? Um, And the only way I could do that is if I could see their faces, and if they're taking notes, they could write down notes. Um, But the other thing we're doing here at the end of this time today, we're going to end a little bit early And you guys are going to break up into groups of like four or five people. And you guys are actually going to pray for each other. Because what's the point of doing a prayer series when we're not actually practicing it, right? And you know what's so crazy about that is I've been telling people like pastor friends of mine or friends from other churches. They're like, hey, what's going on at your church? And I'm like, well, we're doing this prayer series where I end the sermon early and we actually pray. And they're like, wait, everybody does that? And they're like, that's kind of cool. And I'm like, well, you know what? We're coming to church. We should expect to pray, right? <laughs> and it, what part of this is, is breaking out of what I like to call consumerism. And if you guys aren't familiar, we talk about consumerism all the time. But consumerism is when you, like a consumer is somebody who goes and just receives. And you receive. And we're used to that in our society, right? You, you pay for Netflix and you just receive what they have to offer. You go to the store or restaurant, and the customer's always what? And sometimes that creeps into the church where the church has become more of a show than a worship service, right? Instead of actually being equipped to go out and do something or coming to do something, we've, at times, the American church has become a place where you go, you hear good singing, and then you hear a good message, and then you leave. And we want that to be totally different, where we actually come and prayer is something we could all do right where we're at, right? We could separate. So we're going to do that at the end and actually put what we're learning into practice a little bit. Um, so that's good. Um, and we're going to be doing that much of, the th- much of our time here together, you know. Maybe one Sunday we might just gather and just pray the whole morning, you know. Really push us out of our comfort zone. Do something totally crazy that we're not expecting because when we're pushed out of our comfort zone— That's when we grow the most, right? We don't grow when we're in our comfort zone. We grow when we're out. So um, we are in the book of Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. And we are um, finishing up our series on the Lord's Prayer. And really it's the model prayer. So we're going to read the whole thing up front. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Okay? So this is what it says. Again, as a reminder, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, how do we pray like you? You're very good at prayer. Um, We want to pray like you. And Jesus said, all right, this is how you should pray. You should start by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into what? but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations have at the very end, for for yours is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Some translations do not. That's kind of up to debate in this Christian scholarly world if that's parts in there. 
Um, but this is all part of, and then this is how he said, he said, if you want to know how to pray, memorize this model and not necessarily say it word for word, but the concept, like the model behind it. And so we've been talking about five parts to the model prayer, if you're taking notes, the five parts. So when you get alone with God, when you pray, when you have your prayer time, this is a model you should use. The first is this, the first part is this, is to worship, okay? So worship is our way of life. We start our prayer time by just giving God praise and glory, and they say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's just a way to give God praise and adoration and say, God, you are awesome. You are bigger than anything I'm going through. You're bigger than my struggles and problems and mortgage and my job issues or whatever. God, you are awesome. We should really start our prayer time by just praising God for a few minutes and just saying, God, you're so good. Worship shouldn't be just be done in church, in our pews. It should be done when you're in the car, and it should be done during our prayer time. So the first is worship. The second is surrendering your will to God, surrendering your will. So when you go into prayer, we're not going into prayer just to impose our will and saying, God, this is everything I want you to do. Here's my will. Do it. Then that would be like God's kind of a genie, right? And so instead of just imposing our will, we ask God to reveal his will to us, and we want to do it. So we say, um, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. God, I want what you want ultimately before I want what I want. Because what I want might not be best, and some of the things I'm praying for, God, you might just say no to. And I'm okay with that, God. And I will receive that. If I feel it's a no, I'll just move on. But I want your will to be done. And then the third is make request. Make request. That's where he says, give us this day our daily bread. And that's where we can make our request known to God. That's good. Anything on your heart you could ask God for, the big things, the little things, it's all good. Make your request to him. And the fourth part of the model is ask for forgiveness. He says, forgive us of our debts, which um, meaning here, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have debts against us. So God, forgive me and I'll forgive others. And so in our prayer time, we should ask God to forgive us of all of our sins. And the Bible says, because of the cross of Jesus, all of our sins can be forgiven. Amen? Like anything that you've ever done can be forgiven. And you're going to do it again and again. And he said, just keep bringing it to me and I'll forgive you over and over again because my grace is amazing, right? We all know the song Amazing Grace. And so bring, ask God for forgiveness. Many times when we sin— we retreat from God. You know what I'm saying by that? We stop going to church. We sin. We feel guilty. We don't go to Bible study. We, you know, if we're a youth leader, we tell Brian, hey, I, I'm not going to teach this week. I feel like crap, and I sinned. And God's like, why do you do that? Like, you're just like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes when you sin. Like, come out and receive my grace. And he says, where sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace. So he said, where your sin abounds and grows and gets out of control, that's where God's grace abounds more and is able to forgive. So we need to do that, okay? And so the last part today that we're talking about is not incredibly profound, but I have a couple points to talk about it, is this, is, is ask for protection. Ask for protection, okay? And so the very last part, you're just asking God for protection. Not necessarily, against, not necessarily for, like, God, help me get to work. You know, that's good to ask for protection about that. Help me not get in an accident. But these are asking for protections for really two things. 
protect me against temptation and protect me against the evil one. Okay, who's the evil one? Satan. The Bible says that we have a common enemy. And it's not a person here in church. They're not our enemy. It's not the church down the road. They're not our competition. They're not our enemy. It's not even the doghouse saloon and all that goes on there at Saturday night, 2 in the morning. That's not our enemy. Uh, Some of y'all might have been there last night. Hopefully you didn't do anything you shouldn't be doing. But that's not our enemy. The enemy is, uh, as the Bible says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities of the air, like the unseen world, uh, against Satan and, and his evil forces that are putting thoughts in our minds, that are putting temptation in our path, that are causing us to worry, that are doing these things to us. So he's saying, protect us from these things. And the verse is, um, is uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay? So those are the two things we ask for. So during this part of the prayer, God is saying, just pray that you don't fall into temptation, that you get away from temptation, that you stay away from it. And if we are praying to be, that God protects us from temptation, what should we be doing? We should be avoiding temptation ourselves, right? So if we're going to say, God, please keep me from temptation, but then we willingly walk into temptation all the time, is that good? No, if we're going to ask God to protect us, we need to be doing our part in avoiding temptation. And so the question is, how good are you guys, how good are we as a church at avoiding temptation? Like, how are we running from it? Are we sitting in it? Um, we, shouldn't const- we shouldn't be constantly allowing ourselves to be tempted. So first of all, what is temptation? Does anybody want to say like a good definition of temptation? Shout it out, scream it out. If you're thinking it up here, I can't hear it. You know, I'm not, I don't read minds. Temptation, doing things we shouldn't do. Maybe like an enticement to do that. Anything, anybody else? Is it a sin to be tempted? No. It's not a sin to be tempted. So look at this next verse I have up here, um, referring to Jesus, okay? And this is what it says here about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And so is it a sin to be tempted? No, it's not. Temptation is going to come your way. And really, um, a good definition of, of, of temptation is like it's an enticement to sin. It's like an enticement to sin, but it's usually caused by our own desires. It's usually caused from our own desires. Like, we want that. And so, there are times, like, part of temptation is, is that something inside of you wants to do something that's evil. And you're like, what? Isn't that sinful? No, there's a desire inside of you to do something evil. That is a temptation. And what you do with that temptation determines if it's a sin or not a sin or as a debt or not a debt. So if you give in to temptation and do it, you've committed sin. If you take those thoughts or those evil desires and you take it to the cross or the throne of Jesus and say, Jesus, I have these thoughts that I just, I hate that I have these. Please take them away. And he takes them away and you're good. But it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's a sin to give in to temptation. Um, and Jesus was tempted in every way. 
So according to this prayer, we need to do something. I have two quick points is this. We need to learn to avoid temptation at all cost. Avoid temptation at all cost. And the Bible says, flee temptation. Like, avoid temptation before it starts. So in 1 Timothy 6.11, it says this. But as for you, man of God, or as for you, woman of God, too, flee these things, which he named off all these sins. Like, flee these things. But you should pursue what? You should pursue what? Righteousness. You should pursue that. You should pursue godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. And so it's saying if there's any type of temptation, our job is not to go to it and try to, like, stand strong in it. Our power comes from avoiding temptation altogether. It comes from just being away from temptation or really avoiding it altogether. And so part of that is asking yourselves, what is a common sin that you are prone to do? So, like, think about that to yourself. Obviously, do not shout it out. Um, We all don't need to know that right now. Um, A common sin that you are prone to do. And something that you're like, I don't want to sin. I want to pursue godliness. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to flee these things as the Bible says. But this sin I'm prone to do. And figure out what are your triggers that causes you to do that sin. Because there's always going to be triggers or temptations that are going to cause us to sin. And we need to avoid that. You need to, you need to avoid that. Um, and like really just stay away from it altogether. Okay, now I'll give you guys a good example. Um, so one, one thing with me is that I have, and people, some people hear about it, they probably think it's really weird. Maybe if they're outside the church, they think it's really weird. But I have a lot of accountability on my screens, okay? Um, you guys know that like pornography is a huge issue inside the church. You know, statistics say that over half of the men here have looked at pornography in the past week. Um, and with pastors... They say one in three pastors struggle with pornography. And so that's incredibly, incredibly high. I don't want to be in that statistic. And here's the thing. I know I would be. I know I would be. And maybe you're like, whoa, pastor, like I didn't know that you would be, do something like that. I totally would. And so I have safeguards in my life to keep me from stuff like that. Because they say... The internet, if you be searching the internet, if you be searching, if you are searching the internet, <laughs> you be searching the internet, you are totally doing it in anonymity. It's, you know, every kid here over the age of 10 knows how to clear their search history so nobody knows what they're searching on or delete the cookies, whatever that is. It's something that the internet saves about your search history. We all know how to do that. And guess what? We all have access to the internet on our fingertips everywhere we go. And so places where we're alone, places that nobody would ever find out, we have access to all the sexual perversion there are in the world that you could ever imagine right at our fingertips and nobody would find out because we're good at hiding our sin, right? And as soon as these things came out, you know, I got my first smartphone probably like in 2010, maybe, I don't know, whenever the iPhone came out, like I got a smartphone before I had a flip phone. I mean, you couldn't search anything with that. As soon as these things came out and we realized, hey, if you wanted to look up pornography, you had to do it on your computer 
in your living room, like, while your family was upstairs, and it was very, like, oh, somebody could walk in on you, whatever. But when you have your phone, it's a wholly different ballgame. So early on, I got this program called Covenant Eyes, and it works, it works for me, but you put it on your phone, you put it on your computer, and my wife helped me set it up. And so all of these passwords, like, she has, right? So I don't—anytime I search the Internet— Literally, um, if I were to search anything, it gets sent to accountability partners that see everything that I'm doing. And so the loss of anonymity is totally a safeguard against temptation because I know there's going to be a lot of awkward conversations if I slip up. So in a sense, it's removed the temptation. And so I really, if I want to search something, I have to do it in the Covenant Eyes browser. I can't do it in Safari because my wife has all the passwords and taken, I've asked her to take that stuff off my phone. Because I know that I will be that statistic. And I don't want to be that statistic. I don't want my boys to be that statistic. I want to tell my boys, we can do this. You can do this. I want to tell my wife that she's the only woman I look at butt naked. You know what I mean? Like, you're the only one. And I want her to feel secure in that. And I want her to be okay with that. And not feel like I'm doing all sorts of things with my mind. And I don't want Satan to get a foothold because if he gets a foothold in my area in this life, I am not going to be as good of a shepherd to you guys. I'm not going to be a good of a preacher. And so I have learned to avoid temptation in that area. I'm not saying I'm always perfect, but setting up these safeguards is a way that has given victory. And so if your temptation to sin, like maybe you have a problem with alcoholism and you struggle with drinking and getting drunk and making bad choices— Maybe it's time to just give up drinking altogether, if that's the case. And every time you drink, it's too much temptation to put it down. Maybe you shouldn't even drink. Avoid it altogether. Maybe you should avoid bars or things like that. It's causing, like, whatever it is for you, it's good to set up temptations. Or set up blocks to our temptations, rather. Not set up temptations. That would be wrong. So if something's a a common temptation to you, the Bible says that we are to just cut it out of our life totally. Like, cut it out. You guys know that verse? I have it up here for you. Matthew 18, 19 says this. It's talking about sin. It says, if your eye causes you to what? All right, it's talking about your eye. If your eye is causing you to stumble, pluck it out. Dig out your eye and, and throw it away because it is better for you to enter heaven or enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. What was the other one that they told you to cut off? Your hand. If your hand causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two hands. And he's obviously making a point because if we all, he's not telling us to actually mutilate our bodies because if he did, all of us here would have both eyes gone and both hands gone (laughs) if we were all obedient to that. But he's saying if there's something in your life that's a constantly a temptation that's causing you to sin, you better cut it off with severe intentionality. Just like you would cut off your hand. Hey, if you, if you are getting drunk and you can't control how much, uh, you're done drinking. You're done. And it's praise God for that. If, if your uh, phone is causing you to sin, it's time to cut it off and get a flip phone. You don't need a smartphone anymore. Oh, but I listen to podcasts. No, just stop. You don't need a, you can do with a flip phone. 
There's many people here that have a flip phone, and that's okay. But it's better to live inconvenienced with one eye or one hand or with a flip phone or just being done drinking or whatever that is. It's better to be drastically inconvenienced than get, go to the fiery hell, is what he's saying. So he's saying if you want victory in your life, you have to make some drastic choices as a Christian. And you have to learn to just cut out temptation altogether. And so the second point I want to make is this. And this is important. It goes along with this verse. Never boast in your own strength. Can we just acknowledge this as Christians? That we are never to boast in our own strength. It says, beware that you become prideful lest you fall. Because pride comes before the what? So when you become prideful, you fall. So it's saying as Christians, a sign of a mature Christian is not to be in temptation and stand strong. It's to avoid the temptation altogether. Does that make sense? I think we think, hey, I've been a Christian for so long, I could, I'm fine. I, I could put myself in vulnerable situations and not fall. And he's saying, no, that's not a sign of a strong Christian. The sign of a strong Christian is the, the ability to avoid the temptation altogether. Amen? Why do you think there's so many pastors? If that was true, that you could be so mature that you could stand in temptation, how come so many pastors fall into sin and ruin their ministries? How come that there's so many pastors that have been serving Jesus for so long, only to the very end of their life, they get fired from their pastorate position in disgrace and humility? It's because they thought they could stand. It's because they said, I got this. I could stand. Do you know the most godliest pastors I know? They have rules in place, and this is male pastors, women pastors all together, that they're like, hey, I'm married. I don't meet with a person of the opposite sex alone. I don't do it. Is it because you're like, wow, you must be a big perv if you don't trust yourself alone? No, it's not about that. It's about avoiding the temptation altogether. And so if we meet with the woman, like we either let our spouse know or there's somebody else at church, we, you know, we go out to lunch and there's other people there. And so they do that to safeguard themselves because they know that they're vulnerable to fall into adultery. And they just say, I just don't do it. You know what I mean? I just don't do it. And I avoid it altogether. And so never boast in your own strength. This is what Jesus told the disciples right before he's crucified in Matthew 26, 41. Later on in Matthew, it says this. He said, watch and pray so that you do not fall in temptation because the spirit is willing, but the what? He's saying your flesh is so weak. Until we go up to heaven and we get new bodies, we're going to have this flesh. And the Bible says the flesh is so weak. You guys know that hymn, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And in that psalm he's saying, or in that like hymn that we sing, it says, God, I know I'm prone to wander. I know. And until we have this flesh, we're going to be prone to temptation. And Jesus told the disciples who became the apostles that went out and did amazing miracles. He's saying, you've got to watch and pray. You've got to watch and pray. Because... The spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak. There's another time, I don't have the verse up here, 
but Paul was saying how he was going to like basically stand up to Satan and I'm, gonna, I'm never going to deny you, Jesus, and I'm going to do this. And Jesus told Paul, hey, Paul, Satan has came to me and asked that he could sift you as wheat. He's asked it that he could just tear you to shreds. And by the grace of God, I've held that back. And so we don't, like, in ourselves, like, we don't have the ability to just be victorious on our own. The only sense that we have to be victorious in this world is the extent we stay close to Jesus. Amen? Like, that is where our power comes from. That's where everybody comes from. And so we need to acknowledge our flesh is, flesh is so weak. And we need to avoid temptation. So Jesus promises that when we sin, we can be forgiven. Amen? We can be forgiven. We talked about that the last, in the last verse. Um, and so what this is really talking about is protection against temptation, protection against the evil one. But really, what watch and pray is talking about is total surrender to God. Saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to need your help. Like, we could avoid temptation, but Jesus specifically asks us, God, spare me from temptation. Like, deliver me from temptation. Help me not fall into it. And I want to stand strong against the devil, but Lord, you're going to be the one that's going to help me and deliver me from the evil one. Are you willing to surrender all to Jesus? Are you willing to give your whole life to Jesus, to trust him for every part of your life, for the temptations, for the joys, for the struggles? Are you willing to surrender all to Jesus? And that's what this comes down to. Because the reality is, if we try to stand on our own, this world is going to wipe us out. What do I mean by wiped out? Every day, the reason I'm talking about this, guys, is I want you guys to strive for having a daily quiet time with Jesus. A time where we put on the armor of God, where we have intimacy with Jesus, where, meaning we're praying to Jesus and we have a good, close walk with Jesus. Because every day when we leave our house, there's a tidal wave about to hit us of anger, depression, anxiety, negative thoughts, negative people. All these things are about ready to hit us like a tidal wave. And if we're not connected to Jesus, it's going to wipe us out. And what we see a lot of times is believers walking around wiped out. Just wiped out every day. Because they're neglecting that personal walk with Jesus where we get to put on our armor, we get to be strengthened. So we have a chance to be victorious in our walk with Jesus. We have a chance to be victorious, and it starts with watching and praying. Being conscious, being with Jesus praying and watching and being alert. Not getting lazy in our walk with Jesus, but being intentional about it. So if you aren't doing this, set aside time every day to pray and go through what we talked about in this model prayer, where we talked about um, all the parts where worship, um, let me get it out. Worship, surrendering your will, making requests, forgiveness, and asking for protection. And go through this model prayer with Jesus alone before you start your day. And then read the Bible or listen to the Bible to um, get the truth of God's word. Because what it says here, delivers from the evil one, Satan is going to be putting lies in your head all the time. And the only way we could overcome that is if we know the truth. Okay, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to break up in groups. What we're going to do in groups is we are going to get in groups of five people or so, um, and we are going to introduce ourselves.
we're going to share one thing. We're just going to pray for each other. So just share one thing that we could pray for you about, and then we're going to go around and then pray for each other, okay? doesn't have to be long, like literally one or two sentences per prayer, but you guys are going to practice actually praying, all right? So let me pray, and then we'll break up. God, we thank you so much for this word. Lord, um, help us not to boast in our strength, but realize that our flesh is weak. And God, help us realize that we need to surrender our lives to you and just walk every day surrendered to you in relying on your strength, not our own. Because God, we know that our, even though our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. Our flesh is prone to sin. And as it says in 1 Timothy, God, help us flee temptation. Help us flee all sorts of sin. And help us pursue righteousness, holiness, and gentleness in our lives. So God, we love you. And we pray for this prayer time, God, that we can lift up one another as the church should be doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, find a little group and pray for each other. Um, and make sure nobody's alone. So look around and make sure nobody's sitting alone and invite them into your circle, please. And then after about eight minutes, I will end our time.